A reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah. For Zion's sake I will not keep silent, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest, until her vindication shines out like the dawn, and her salvation like a burning torch. The nations shall see your vindication, and all the kings your glory, and you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken, and your land shall no more be termed desolate, but you shall be called, My delight is in her, and your land married. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your builder marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. This is one of our sacred prophecies. Thanks Thanks be to God. Arms crossed in the back of the room. The prophet watched through narrow eyes as the preacher, his eyes half-closed, sluggishly read from the sacred Shemot scroll. She couldn't take much more of this. The synagogue was sparsely populated with the few glassy-eyed men and women who had made the weekly trek to the meeting place, fueled by nothing much more than habit. The prophet found it abysmal. And you shall see what I shall do to Pharaoh, the monotone preacher droned. Indeed, by a mighty hand, he will let them go. By a mighty hand, he will drive them out of his land. Across the room, a thin wooden door bumped open to let some sunlight and a straggler come through. No one cared to turn and see who it was. The latecomer made a half-hearted attempt to shut the door, which still hung lazily open before letting his body fall in the closest of the abundant seats. The prophet couldn't help but wish that the straggler had stubbed his toe or caught his robe on the door or something, but the room remained lifeless. In the age of her grandparents, the preachers, they would shine, they would light Israel aflame with tongues of fire. When the empire finally released captive Israel back to her homeland, hope had abounded. Visions of Israel's restored glory lit the path to their nation's future. There would be peace among the nations, and paganism would come to an end as David's powerful kingdom was restored. God's favor was assured. And all the preachers had to do was put words to this hope, to ride the wave of excitement, to let their poetry flow. It was easy to have faith then. But now the lamps that lit their way had all but flickered out. The fire that filled their bellies had died with what proved to be the cold and unproductive passage of time. Few exiles even took the chance to come home, having made a comfortable life in Persia. Israel remained a poor and insignificant providence of a foreign empire. Nothing changed. God never showed up. And now here they sat, despondent and mostly disinterested in something as impractical as God. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment, the preacher hummed. 
I will take you as my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who freed you from the burdens of the Egyptian. And all of a sudden, something in that cold room crackled to life. Do you hear what you are reading? The exclamation crashed through the room and startled everybody, even the preacher, even the prophet. Oh my God, she thought with her eyes wide and mouth open. Was that my voice? (laughs) The eyes, no longer quite as glazed, were turning around. It felt as though a hot coal had touched her tongue, like she had been burnt by something hot, and her body moved to the stimulus before her mind even knew what was going on. The preacher then remembered to be indignant. He bent over to pick up the pointing rod. He dropped on the dusty floor and stammered, Now, excuse me, you need to... No, the prophet said. Her feet carried her forward towards the front of the room. She started to embrace it, this voice coming from her mouth. It was the only thing that seemed to make sense. No, for Israel's sake, I will not be silent. For the sake of Jerusalem, I will not rest. She faced off with the preacher and then turned to embrace the room's attention. We're supposed to be something, she chastised. We're supposed to be God's people, a nation of prophets and priests. Did you even hear the Shemot being read right in front of you? Do you hear what God has done for us, who we are? So no, I won't be silent. I won't be silent until the integrity of Israel shines as bright as the dawn, until her deliverance burns like a flaming torch. I won't be silent until every nation has seen our vindication, until every ruler sees our splendor, until we've become what we were always supposed to be. Our God renamed Abraham. God renamed Jacob, and our God will rename us a new name that God's own mouth will bestow, something that reflects who we are and what we are becoming. I mean, look around. Look at the magnificent people sitting around you. And the people hesitantly obliged, meeting the eyes of their neighbors. You might see dirt and dust and poverty. You may see a diminished people fed upon by the beasts of this world, but your eyes are unfocused. That is not what I see, and that is not what God sees. You are loved, Israel. You are a garland of beauty in your God's hands, a solemn crown worn by our God, golden and embedded with precious stones. You are God's people. You're bestowed with a worth human eyes don't recognize. Our nation has been crushed and it has been disgraced, and that's now part of who we are, but our journey isn't over. Our God is calling us into a new future, a new plant growing from these ancient roots, she gestured towards the scrolls and the rickety podium. You and I, we've been called forsaken. Our city, it's been called desolate. But that's not what I call you, and that's certainly not what God calls you. Because we will be called a delight. And our city will be called beloved. Because God takes delight in us and nothing can separate us from God's love. 
We are not destined for desolation. At the end of our story is not a funeral, but a marriage. A perfect union between Israel and the divine. Just like a young couple marry, you will be forever united with God. Just as a newly married couple rejoice over one another, so your God will rejoice over you. Hear me, O Israel. You are loved. And we are not done. And then there was silence. But it was the loudest and fullest silence that they had heard in years. It was the silent sound of God breathing life back into their lungs. It was the sound of a people coming alive. Prophets aren't fortune tellers. I once thought of prophets as little more than holy predictors of the future, and I would marvel at their power to predict what was going to happen and shake my head in judgment at their contemporaries who didn't listen to them. Although the only time I really heard about the prophets was when they were talking obviously and explicitly about the birth of Christ. But later, as I began to read the prophets, and you're missing out if you haven't, I realize that isn't what they seem to be doing at all. Their works are beautiful and hopeful and challenging, but as far as fortune tellers go, they get the details of the future wrong uncomfortably often. The prophets read more akin to poetry, or sometimes science fiction. They demand a full engagement of the imagination and the conscience. And I started to realize that the power of the prophet actually lies somewhere else. The true power of the prophet is the ability to dream God's dreams. The true power of the prophet is the ability to use spirit-inspired drama through words or actions, sermons or poems, to give us a holy imagination, a glimpse into the world as God must see it, a glimpse into the, into the tomorrow as God must wish it to unfold. The true power of the prophet is to dismantle our bad stories of seeking power, to dismantle the hopeless stories of despair, and instead to situate us in God's unfolding story of hope for love fully realized, for a marriage between the human and the divine. And I believe this was the true power of the prophet in Isaiah. Centuries later, it was, the pro- it was the power of the prophet John of Patmos, writing his letters to a beleaguered people who had trouble imagining what tomorrow could be. He recounts his holy dream like this. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and earth had passed away. And I saw a holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of the heavens from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among humanity. God will dwell among them. They will be God's people, and the divine itself will be with them. Love will wipe every tear from their eyes, for I am making all things new.
John, like Isaiah, invites his grayscale readers into the colorful tomorrow God dreams of, into this marriage between the human and the divine. And thousands of years after John, the same power resided in the prophet who took his stand on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial and preached to a people who couldn't imagine God's hope for a reconciled world. I have a dream, he famously proclaimed, that one day on the red hills of Georgia, sons of former slaves and sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream that one day even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but on the content of their character. This is our hope. King, like John, invites his polarized hearers, even a half a century later, into God's dream of a banquet table so big it can fit all of God's people. Theologian and activist Walter Wink once wrote, History belongs to the intercessors who believe the future into being. And this is not simply a religious statement. It's true of communists or capitalists or anarchists as it is of Christians. The future belongs to whoever can envision in its manifold of potentials a new and desirable possibility, which faith then fixes on as inevitable. That is the politics of hope. And I might add, this is the power of the prophets. The gift of prophecy did not, as I once made the assumption, cease in biblical times. I looked with hard skepticism on any in this day and age who claimed to be a prophet. But as I learned to pay attention, I learned, as it often happens, that I was wrong Wherever there are voices that surrender themselves to God's vision of the future, there is the gift of prophecy. Even now, don't miss them. Don't miss them. Don't write them off or ignore them. Because as hard as they can be for some of us to hear, we absolutely need them if we are to be part of what God is doing today in our generation. We absolutely need them if we are to imagine a future in which humanity reaches a deeper bond, a more fully realized marriage to the God of love. So don't miss the voices of the prophets like Reverend William Barber II, or Alice Walker, or Jordan Peele, or Donald Glover, as they point to the ways racism and white supremacy still infect every part of our life today and invite us into a future of awareness and true equity. Of the prophets like Caroline Lewis, or Sue Monk Kidd, or Margaret Atwood, or Hannah Gatsby, or the voices of the Me Too movement that shatter our illusions of achieved gender equality and invite us into a future of mutuality and respect of one another's stories. Of prophets like Walter Wink, John Lennon, Brian McLaren, or Gareth Higgins, who confront us with the ineffectiveness of violence, and call us to a new, nonviolent story of change. Of prophets like Oscar Romero, Dorothy Day, Bob Lupton, or Shane Claiborne, who remind us, 
through their lives that the gospel has inescapable implications for our relationship to the poor and underprivileged and invite us into their vision of a world of mutually respectful economic equality. Or if prophets like Richard Rohr or Madeline Engel, or Fred Rogers who remind us that each of us carries a unique and beautiful piece of God's image and invite us into their vision of a neighborhood where we know that we are unconditionally loved. So go find the prophets. Find the ones who, in word and deed, give a foretaste of glory divine, who give a glimpse into the kingdom of God, They are the weird-looking ones out there doling out comfort and discomfort in equal measure. Seek them out. Hear them. Consume a steady diet of their enchantment. Allow their words to make their way into your soul, into your imagination, until their holy dreams become your holy dreams. And then even you, may become the prophet. By God's grace, let's go forward and dream a new world into being.